I've, uh, I've got to open with a confession. Um, this morning, I was give, I'm given the opportunity to, to teach God's Word, which I'm super excited about. Um, but I was given the assignment to preach on this, this amazing passage in Ephesians 5 and 6, uh, talking about marriage and then talking about parenting and then and the slaves and, and masters. And um, as I was working on it this week, it got to the point where I was just like, I, I got so much that God's put in my heart to teach on the Ephesians 5 portion that I didn't get to the Ephesians 6. And so I need to ask for your grace and forgiveness from Pastor Gary because he's got this like tight timeline and so I'm going to mess it up. And so we're not going to look at Ephesians 6, I don't believe, next week, because I, I would really like to teach on parenting. So I'm going to have to ask maybe if we could preach on that in, in the winter later, and, and so we can get back and I can teach, teach on Ephesians 6 and parenting. So um, is that okay? Thank you. I'm sorry about that. But God has given me this, this heart for marriage this morning. And this passage that we're going to look at is an incredible passage. It's the longest passage in the New Testament on marriage, and it's got a lot to teach us about the roles of of husbands and wives, and I'm really excited to to open it with you today and and to hear what God has to say. Um, So with that said, I'm going to pray again that God would help me and help us um, hear from him this morning. Will you pray with me? God, we need you. I need you. Lord, we pray that as we come humbly to your word that that you would open our hearts, that you would give us your spirit here in this place, that you would speak to us, speak to our marriages, speak to us as husbands and wives of how we um, are called to rise up and to live as you desire us to to live in our marriage. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would bring your truth, you would bring conviction, you would bring freedom, you would bring healing and hope. And just thank you for this morning. And as we dig into this passage, Satan wants to keep us from what you, go, you were going to say to us in, in, in this passage, and I pray that you would just um, um, turn him away, that we would receive um, and walk in what you have for us today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, Twelve years ago, in June of 2005, uh, during the heyday of reality TV, another reality show was born. Uh, this new show had a pretty humble beginning. It started as a quick six-week summer series hoping to get a following of viewers to justify a second uh, season in the fall. Little did the show's creators anticipate or even dream that the show would become a phenomenon and, re- and reign even today as the highest viewed reality TV show. More than a decade later, the show's in its 25th season today, still averaging over 10 million viewers. Its peak viewership was in 2011 with 20 million viewers. Um, does anybody have a guess what show I'm talking about? What's that? Not Survivor. Any, any other guesses? Not Bachelor. I don't know if I should do something to like give you a cue. What? Um, you know, it's, um, how do I do this? So, Dancing with the Stars. I, I dance myself here. That's correct. Dancing with the Stars. Could you imagine that? That's the most popular TV show. Um, who would have imagined that? Um, I'll be honest. I never understood what makes that show so popular. If you are not familiar with the show, it takes former celebrities whose stardom has passed them by and matches them with professional dancers. Each week, these match dancing couples compete against one another in a dance competition to eventually be crowned the winner of each season. I got to thinking to myself, what makes this show so popular it can't be the former celebrities, right? I mean, their fame's past and gone. 
It has to be the dancing. Viewers are drawn each week to tune in to watch these couples perform what are very artistic and and beautiful dance routines from ballroom-style dancing to salsa and tango. Deep down, I think viewers are drawn to this beauty, the beauty of dance. People enjoy seeing the transformation of inexperienced celebrities combined with a professional dancer turn into a harmonious dancing couple that exemplify beauty, grace, and style. And so I have to admit, while I don't watch the show, I think, I think I can understand to a degree the artistic nature of the show and the lure of beauty of the couples that are dancing and the people to watch. Maybe, maybe I can, I guess. But as I was preparing uh, my, for my message this week, I was studying this passage on marriage and thinking deeply about the wonderful beauty of how God has created husband and wife to function in the marriage relationship. Now, as I wrestled for a way to capture the beauty of this relationship, I was talking with a friend, and she made the comment that marriage relationship is like dancing together. And immediately I thought, that's exactly right. That's so true. Dancing is a wonderful metaphor and picture for the marriage relationship. If you've ever had a dancing lesson before, you're taught from the start that men and women have different but complementary roles in the dancing relationship. The man traditionally serves as the lead and through subtle movements initiate and leads the dance along. And the female um, plays an equal but complementary role in the dance as she supplies the artistic beauty uh, and of the dance and most importantly, she follows the lead of the man as he initiates in, in the direction of the dance. And so when these dancing roles are executed well, of course, the product is a beautiful artistic expression of harmony and of the man and woman, and, and people enjoy to, to watch that, right? That's, that's what you see in dancing is these couples working together in unity to create this, this um, harmonious thing. And I think that's what makes the show so popular, I guess. But like dancing, um, like this metaphor for dancing, the marriage relationship between husband and wife has a different like dancing, marriage has, uh, the marriage relationship has complementary roles that function in harmony. So when a husband and wife embrace God's design for marriage and the corresponding roles, marriage is a beautiful, just like a harmonious dance. Dancing is a great metaphor for the marriage relationship. But I want to talk about another metaphor this morning, a divine metaphor given by God to illustrate the marriage relationship. And that metaphor is woven in the passage that we're going to look at today. That metaphor is Christ in his sacrificial love for the church. As we're going to see in this passage today, God calls husbands to love their wives as Christ sacrificially loved the church, and wives to submit to their husbands as, as the church submits to Christ. So in, in essence, God's design for the marriage relationship between husband and wife is meant to reflect and reenact the gospel. Similar to kind of the outward beauty of a dancing couple, Christ's love is for the church which culminated in Jesus dying for the church, and it serves today as a glorious picture of the marriage relationship. So in our passage today, the Apostle Paul is going to give some instructions to wives and to husbands regarding their unique responsibilities in this relationship and how the gospel should direct them both to submit and love each other in different but complementary ways. God designed marriage to be like a beautiful dance, a dance that will testify to the picture of the gospel to the outside world that's watching. So I'm really excited to look at this closer together with you this morning and to look closer at this marriage dance. My sincere prayer is that I've been praying all week is that God would speak truth, freedom, and healing into each of our marriages today and help every couple here come away with something to strengthen their marriage. 
And so we've got a lot to cover this morning. I'm excited to dig into God's words together. Um, If you will, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 5. So I want to start by looking at the context of this passage. Our text is going to be verse 21, but I want to pick it up earlier to look at a really important thing and a point when it comes to our marriages, and that's the importance of the Spirit's work. So before we get in verse 21, I want to briefly look back at verse 18. So look with me with verse 18, because I think verse 18 is really critical to understand um, this entire passage and, and gives us the power to live it out. Verse 18 says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I want to draw onto this, this idea, be filled with the Spirit. And the second half of this verse is a command that I think directs everything following it. Actually, what follows the command is an outworking of the Spirit-filled life in verses 19, 20, and 21. So it goes like this, starting in verse 18. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's the command. And what directs it afterwards is the flowing out, is this, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so in the original language, this verse, verse 21, that I think in some of your Bibles will be separated out from the other passage through a heading maybe, um, that this, this verse 21 that says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is actually the last phrase of the last sentence in verse 18, starting in verse 18. So you see that? In the NIVP Bible, I think verse 21, as I said, separated out into a different section. Why is this important? Well, the teaching in verse 21, submitting to one another in Christ, is for Paul an overflow of being filled with the Spirit. Without being filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is nearly impossible. The Spirit is what we desperately need if we're going to submit to one another, as it says in verse 21. And the command to be filled with the Spirit is the bridge to Paul's teaching on marriage in verses 21 and 22. And so when I was studying this passage this week, this connection point regarding the work of the Spirit was like a light bulb that went on for me. It opened my eyes to the need for the Spirit to be at work in me if I'm going to love my life, my wife as Christ loved the church. So here's my point and encouragement for all of us before we get into our passage. Christian marriage is a work of the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit in each spouse, marriage is going to be very difficult. Each spouse, husband and wife, is going to need to depend on the Spirit to live out what Paul is going to teach about marriage. Without the Spirit's help, marriage is going to be very, very difficult. So remember this, as we learn about the roles and responsibilities God gives husbands and wives this morning, in the marriage relationship, don't try to do it on your own power and strength. Ask the Spirit to help and guide you and rely on the Spirit to do that. As I look back at how God's grown me as a husband, as it's really been 100% work of the Spirit in my life. And if we're going to be the spouses in our marriages that God wants us to be, the Spirit must be work in all of our lives as well. So with that said, I want to look now closer at verse 21 because it serves as kind of a critical bridge to understanding the verses that follow it to wives and husbands. So verse 21 reads this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, are any of you surprised to see this verse here? If you've been a Christian for many, any length of time, most of us know the infamous verse following in verse 22, don't we? Which we'll talk more about later. Wives, submit to your husbands. But did you realize before Paul speaks on submission, He actually calls all Christians to submit to one another 
out of respect to Christ. This is important to understand. In the Christian story and in the witness of the Bible, submission is never seen in a negative way as it so often is in our culture. Submission is a posture for all Christians to have with one another. To help us understand the good news of submission in the Bible, let me provide a biblical definition of submission and point us to a few passages on the nature of biblical submission. So first, a definition. What is submission? What is biblical submission? It's this. I define it this way. It's a voluntary yielding to another in love. A voluntary yielding to another in love. Let me unpack that a little bit. Um, one, biblical submission is voluntary from one party to another. It's never to be coerced or forced. Two, submission is the yielding of another, yielding to another. It has to do with another person. It does, has nothing to do with another person being superior, but one person yielding out of love to another. So in Galatians 3.27, I want to talk about this point of, of being, submission in our culture often is seen as being inferior or someone being inferior, right? That relationship is kind of what we bring into this passage that our culture teaches us. It's a negative view of submission. But in the Bible, submission is not at all about inferiority or superiority. Um, Galatians 3.27 says this, it says, in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor free. There is neither husband or wife. For you are all in one in Christ. Whether you're male or female, whether wife or husband, as we'll look see today, the Bible teaches clearly that all of us are one in Christ, created absolutely equal in dignity, value, and worth in the eyes of God. So biblical submission has nothing to do with one person being less than another, but it's a posture, a posture of humility where one person voluntarily yields to another in love. Remember that. It's going to be important as we look more about our role to submit in the marriage relationship. Now, I want to also turn our eyes real quickly before we move on to how Jesus submitted in the Bible. So now that we've defined missions biblically, I want to look at the life of Christ. So I want to look at two passages that portray the nature of submission and life of Jesus. Because what we'll see is that Jesus himself embraced submission in his life. And he did so um, for the glory of the Father. So the first passage I want to look at is um, Mark chapter 10. And this is a passage you may be familiar with, but Jesus, the disciples are having an argument about who's the greatest in his kingdom. And so James and John are arguing back and forth. And Jesus comes and he he teaches them in Mark chapter 10 this really important thing about what um, the nature of the kingdom is like and what he came to do in his life. And Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says this, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. I want to look at one more passage before I make some comments. In, in, in Ephesians chapter, or not Ephesians, in Philippians chapter 2, uh, it's a passage that I imagine many of us are familiar with, but it's a passage that Paul speaks to the way that Christ came in humility, he gave up his life um, and did not consider, consider equality to God to be grasped. Listen to this in Ephesians 2, 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming death, obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
So in both of these passages, what we see is that Christ himself submitted to the will of the Father. He came and he died for us. Um, Kathy Keller, wife to Tim Keller, shares that this passage here in Philippians 2 was instrumental in helping her understand the nature of biblical submission in her role as a wife. In the book of Meaning of Marriage, she writes with her husband, she says that this passage in Philippians 2 was like a light bulb that, that went on for her in seeing how Jesus modeled submission and calls her to live in submission as well. I wanted to read what she says about Philippians 2 here. So she says this, In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, we have one of the earliest hymns sung to Jesus by the church, which celebrates that although Jesus was equal to God, he emptied himself of his glory and took on the role of a servant. Jesus shed his divine privileges without becoming any less divine, and he took on the submissive role, that of a servant who dies in the master's service. In this passage, we see taught both the essential equality of the first and second persons of the Godhead, and yet the voluntary submission of the Son to the Father, securing our salvation. Let me emphasize that Jesus' willing acceptance of this role was wholly voluntary, a gift to the Father. And she says this, I discovered here that my submission in marriage was a gift I offered, not a duty coerced to me. So Jesus came to the earth with a mission, and that mission was to serve humanity and submit himself voluntary in giving his life to, for, for us on the cross. So even Jesus, the Son of God, embraced submission. And he's an example for us to submit to one another out of reference for Christ. And so to summarize, submission is never seen as a negative way in Scripture. But, notes, but denotes a voluntary willingness to yield to one another in love. So now that we've hopefully redefined submission in its biblical sense, um, we're ready to turn to the Apostle Paul's teaching on marriage and the way God calls each spouse to submission in the marriage. Now, as we get deeper into this passage, I want to sh- share one quick word as we look at what God teaches on marriage. So if you're here last week, Pastor Gary talked about the Bible's teaching is countercultural radically different from what the culture practices and teaches. And so what we're going to see here in, in Ephesians 5 for the vision of marriage is going to be countercultural as well. It's not, the vision that Paul is going to show here, it's not natural, and it's not understood well in the culture that we live in. But I firmly believe it's a vision that the outside world needs more than ever. If a husband and wife are to accept God's roles and responsibilities in marriage relationship, if they do that, It's going to produce a beautiful marriage dance, so to speak, that the outside world will tune in to watch and want to learn themselves. So which will give us an opening as a result to speak uh, the beauty of the gospel in a world that desperately needs to know that. Our, Our world is hurting. Our marriages are hurting in our world. And as Christians, we have the ability to live and provide a picture of marriage that that the outside world will want to know more about. So as we get into our passage now, um, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 25. We're going to skip ahead to the husbands first. So wives, you can take a break for a moment. I want to speak to the husbands. And so I have a purpose in that because I believe husband's role in marriage needs to be understood first. And when a husband fulfills his role, a wife will be more willing to embrace her role in the marriage relationship. So we're going to look at the responsibility of husbands in the marriage. So men, husbands, now, before we look at this passage, though, man, I, I, I want, and look at God's mantle that he puts on our lives for our wives, I need to let you know that, that I'm going to try to challenge each of us this morning to step up our game in, in how we love our wives. And this is a challenge that I need just as much as any husband here today. 
the things I'm going to teach on really uh, to love our wives, uh, I struggle with just big times as well. And so I'm far from an expert on these things. Now, for example, I can tell you exactly right now what my wife is going to say to me after lunch today, after the service. And those of you who know her well can totally see her saying this. She's going to say, Travis, I would love it if you started doing the things for me that you told the other husbands to do today. <laughs> she's totally going to say it, I promise. So I'm waiting for it. I'm ready for it. And to be honest, she's right. This week, as I've studied um, a husband's role in marriage, I've been convicted that I have a lot of growing to do myself. But the good news is that God gives us daily grace. And so my encouragement for you husbands is to embrace your role that we see here today, one step at a time, and to push to grow day by day in your love for your wife. Are you ready, husbands? All right, let's get to it. All right, let's look at verse 25 in Ephesians 5. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. So husbands, the command for us in this passage is very clear, but incredibly weighty. Verse 25 is our marching orders. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now to summarize how a husband is called to submit, as as it says in verse 21, submit to one another, um, I want to put it in this way. Here's the big idea I have for husbands this morning. Here's God's role as husbands. Husbands, we submit to, we are called to submit to, to our wife by loving her like Christ loved the church. So I want to unpack a little bit more. Here we see Paul sets a really high standard for how a husband should love his wife. The example that Christ sets is for a husband to be willing to sacrifice everything for the benefit and well-being of his wife. Husbands, our wives are a great gift to us, and God has a high calling on us to love them as Christ loved the church. So husbands, the question we must ask this morning is, how did Christ love the church? Understanding this type of love will give us kind of the model for how we're to love our wives. And so from this passage, I believe there's three ways that Christ loved the church which serve as our model um, for how we are to love our wives. And so I want to look at those right now with you. So three types of love that a husband shows to a wife. The first type of love is a sacrificial love. It's a love that serves. Christ loved the church by giving his life for it, as we saw in verse 25. A husband's love for a wife is to be sacrificial, just as a Christ's love for the church is sacrificial. It's a love that seeks to serve your wife and put her needs above your own. It's not self-centered, but seeks to put your wife's needs above your own, as I said. So what does this love look like in the marriage relationship? Now, for starters, it begins by communicating with your wife and finding out what her needs are. For example, when you come home from work and your wife and your wife has been working all day as well, rather than escaping to your phone when you get home, you put away your phone and actively seek to serve the, your wife and your family. Is that a pretty hard challenge, husbands, for you? It is for me, at least. And so this, this, is, this is a way that we can serve her. We've got to understand what her needs are. We need to ask her what those needs are. And so when, I know for me personally what helps is before I walk in the door, 
Um, it helps as I'm coming home to prepare my heart and invite the Spirit to help me as, I'm, as I go into the door, ready to serve my family. Now, I don't always do that very well, but when I actively seek to prepare my heart ahead of time, I find, it much more, I find myself much more better prepared to love and serve my wife as Christ loved the church. Husbands, I want to encourage you to do the same. As you are coming home um, to your wife, it's not to check out, but be ready to serve her. Be ready to find out what her needs are for the rest of the day or the beginning of the day or for the weekend. That's the way that we can love our wives sacrificially. So let's seek to follow an example of Christ and love our wives with a sacrificial love that seeks to serve her, that seeks to lay down our life for her, that seeks to meet her needs. This is what Christ did for the church and this is what we're called to as husbands. It's a high, high standard. But husbands, it's something that we need to seek to do as we love our wives. Now the second type of love that we see um, here as, as Christ loved the church is a sanctifying love. It's a love that leads spiritually in the home. Um, this second type of love in verse 26, we see this model. It says this. It says, Christ loved the church to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the word. So in this verse, Paul's saying that Jesus sanctified the church by the washing of the word. So for us as husbands, the application for us is that we are to love and encourage our wife spiritually. We love our wife as we are concerned to encourage her in her walk with Christ. So husband, here's the humbling question for you to consider. Is your wife more like Christ because she's married to you or is she more like Christ in spite of you? It's kind of a tough question. But we need to be like the first that she's more like Christ because she's married to us because we're encouraging her spiritually. Husband, God, husbands, God calls us to be spiritual leaders in the home and to be initiators in the home spiritually. So let me give you a simple assignment to do tonight in one way that you can lead your wife spiritually. Before bed tonight, it's really easy, husbands. If you do this, your wife will, will love you for it. Ask your wife how you can pray for her. I don't do this very well. My wife wants me to do this better, but it's, it's really important for, for our wives is how can we pray for them? And so, if you, so tonight, go, before you go to bed, um, take a moment and say, how can I pray for you? And here's what I want you to do. Listen attently. Get a pen and paper. Write it down. Ask, what can I pray for you for this upcoming week? And after that, after you listen to her, after you've written down what are the things she wants you to be praying for her in the coming week, I want you to, to then pray for her at that time. And, I, and here's the thing. Prayer is so important. And if, you, if we, it's one way that we can initiate spiritually in our relationship with our wives. And if we do that on a regular basis and we faithfully pray for them, I promise you that our marriage is, will be greatly impacted and your relationship with your wife will be much stronger. So praying for your wife is one simple way that you can lead spiritually. There's many other ways, but it has the ability to transform the marriage. Husbands, let's love our wives by being spiritually, being a spiritual leader in our homes that God designed us to be. It won't be easy, but the reward of loving our wives in this way can have incredible results, not only for our wives, but for our kids. So take one step tonight. Pray with your wife. Pray with your wife this week. Make one commitment to say, how can I initiate this part in this way and love my wife in this way? And uh, that's, that's the second way that we love our wives is initiating spiritually. The third way that we love our wives is by nourishing them. It's a nourishing love. It's a love that provides. And so finally, we see that Christ loves the church by providing for her. In verse 29, we read, After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. 
Husbands, we love our wives by providing for them. In Genesis 2 and other passages in the Bible, God clearly gives husbands the responsibility to provide for their wives and for their families. This includes physical provision, of course, but I think it also includes provision of time with our wife. Husbands, you set aside time for your wife. Speaking from, my, speaking from what I know my wife needs, her number one need is time with me, to talk with me, to share about her day. And when that's lacking, um, she struggles. And she needs that each from me. And I think husbands, our wives need that. They need our time, quality time to spend with them. So we can love our wives by providing for their physical needs like food and shelter, but I want to encourage you also just to provide for them with, with their need for time with us, to listen to them, to, to, to allow us to share their hearts and to meet their needs as we hear what's going on in their hearts and to ask them about that. So to summarize, husbands, we're called to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Three primary ways we do this is by loving her sacrificially with a sacrificial love that serves her daily, by loving her spiritually, praying with her each and every day and, and initiating in the spiritual relationship. And finally, by providing for her. Providing for her physical needs through work and also providing for her emotional needs through quality time spent with her. You up for that task, husbands? Can you embrace that role? Can you take those steps today? That's, that's some encouragement. I think what, just one way that Christ loves the church in those three ways. And so husbands, now if I could just be real for a moment. I think a lot of us are on autopilot in our marriages, and that includes myself. We're doing just enough to keep our wives happy, but we really haven't fully embraced the responsibility and challenge that God's placed on us to love our wife and to serve our family like Christ loved the church. We come home after work and think we are done with our responsibilities for the day, when actually we're not done at all. We're just getting started when we come home. We start second shift of our most important job, which is to love and serve our wife and our kids. And so listen, husbands, God designed us to be the lead servants in our home. And when we punt on that role, our marriages and our children suffer. And so our wives and families need to be led by us spiritually, to be the lead servant. This is God's mantle for us, husbands. Embrace it. I encourage you to lead in prayer around the dinner table. Initiate and lead in prayer with your wife and kids before bed. Nourish the heart of your wife by spending quality time with her, even if, even if it's only 15 minutes at the end of a very long day. As husbands love their wives and families in this way, a home will thrive and be a blessing to all around us. But where husbands neglect the responsibilities to love their wives, like Christ, Christ loved the church, marriages will struggle and families will struggle. Husbands, I want to encourage you to commit to take one step today, to embrace God's call for you in this way. Pick one area, like prayer with your wife tonight or or serving your family after a long day tomorrow when you get home from work. Ask for the Spirit's help ahead of time and see what God will do. Um, So that's my encouragement for you husbands. Now I want to turn to the wives. And and, um, ladies, I, I know what you've all been waiting for and I know what you've all been thinking um, I can't wait till he gets to our passage on Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's my life verse. I like it so much, I even had it cross-stitched on my favorite pillow. It says no woman anywhere, right? That's never been said by a woman. This is not a verse. This is a controversial verse, ladies. The truth of the matter is it's, it's a misunderstood verse. It's a verse that often is rejected by women. Now I want to come to this, I do come to this passage with actually some trepidation as a man seeking to interpret a wife's role and responsibility is. And I want to share that my wife gave me some help in this section. 
So ladies, if I say something you can disagree with, you can talk with her. She's, she's right there, all right? <laughs> she, she helped me. So, but seriously, my hope is that, is that with God's help, um, we can see wh- how God calls wives to live in this marriage relationship and to see what biblical submission really is. Um, so as I said earlier, earlier um, biblical submission, understood rightly, is not a dirty word, as we often think about in our culture. As we saw in verse 21, submission is a godly characteristic for all believers. Husbands, wives, men, children, all of us are called to live in submission mutually to one another. But wives have a, have a unique role and a unique way that they live in submission to their husbands. And so I want to look at that. Um, but as we saw earlier in, verse, in Philippians chapter 2, God himself embraced submission. As Jesus in his role, uh, as son, he willingly, willingly submitted to the Father. Also, submission in the Bible, as we saw earlier, has nothing to do with inferiority or something of less worth, it means, as it means in our culture sometimes. Now, I think the mistake that is often made is that the word submit is often um, not understood biblically. If it's understood biblically, it's, it's seen as a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful act of love whereby a person, in this passage, the wife, voluntarily yields to her husband's Christ-like leadership in the home. So I want to look at, at this passage, and let's start by reading Ephesians 5, verse 22, and look what, what uh, Paul has to say to wives. Picking up in verse 22, it says this. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is a Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Here's the text, and we see clearly that the wife is called to love their husband by submitting to them. Her model is how Christ submits to the church, so wives are submit to their husbands in everything. Now, once again, submission has nothing to do with inferiority, but it's a gift. It's a gift that wives provide to their husbands, as to husbands that are leading in the home. It's a willingness to follow his lead and initiative. But before we talk about what submission is, I want to share four things that submission is not. And, and maybe that will help us to understand what submission is. So here's four things that submission is not, wives. Um, I think that in the church we've done a bad job of, of um, outlining this. And there's a lot of just misunderstanding of what it means to submit to our husbands. So let me just give a few things that submission is not. And so the first thing, submission is not something for the husband to demand. So notice that the verse about, the verse about wives to make their husbands is addressed specifically to the wife and not the husband. This is the case in all New Testament passages on marriage and submission. Now, husbands, let me talk with you for a moment. Um, this verse is hers, not yours. This means you should never quote it to your wife. Guilty. Um, men, it's hers to obey, not yours to demand. Uh, your role is to be the kind of leader it would be a joy to submit to. And we all know that we have a lot of room to grow, men, in our love for our wives as Christ loved the church. Now back to wives. Wives, Submission is not letting your husband treat you like a servant. It's not about a husband calling out from the couch to his wife, bring me the chips. That's laziness. Tell him to get his own chips. Submission is not for the husband to demand. It's a gift that the wife freely gives to the loving and sacrificial leadership of her husband. And so that's the first thing that submission is not. It's not for the husband to demand. The second thing that submission is not is it's not traditional cultural roles. Now, I think so often people bring their cultural views of marriage and attach them to the biblical vision of marriage that we're talking about today. When, the Bible, when nowhere in the Bible 
teach, does it teach these things? So for example, in the traditional view of marriage, a certain type of division exists. So women are seen as the ones to cook, clean, do the, wa- do the laundry, bathe the kids, etc., while men work outside the home, mow the grass, and attempt to fix things around the house, right? The Bible gives no sort of prescription in these areas, and therefore we shouldn't either. Each couple must work out what is best for their home. That means a husband might demonstrate sacrificial leadership in the home by regularly supporting the wife in, in, in cooking once a week. Can you do that, men? I, I need to do that. Or doing additions, or helping out the laundry, or bathing or putting the kids to bed. Now my wife is going to hold me to this, and so I'm, I, uh, it's going to be tough this week, but I'm ready. Um, my point here is that nowhere does the Bible subscribe that submission for a wife means living out cultural, traditional roles. A biblical marriage does not always mean traditional marriage, and spouses should not worry about living up to that standard, but be more concerned about following the biblical roles of Christ-like leadership and loving submission in their relationship above cultural roles. And so the third thing is submission is not, is, and wives, you're going to like this one, submission is not agreeing with your husband on everything. Submission does not mean you must agree with the opinions of your husband. Your husband's wrong, often. I am. You are your own person, made in the image of God. God's given you a mind to use, which your husband needs all too often. You and I know that your husband has crazy ideas and opinions sometimes. Wives, you need to challenge your husband with those ideas and opinions from time to time. I'm thankful that my wife does that for me. Um, Wives are a gift to husbands in that way. Submission does not mean you are to agree with your husband, but lovingly challenge him and support him to make better decisions. So as the joke goes, I knew I married Mrs. Wright, but I didn't know her first name was always, right? Wives, your husband needs you to disagree with him and to challenge him from time to time, but to do so in a respectful way that affirms his leadership and does not tear him down or mock him. And finally, the the fourth thing that submission is not is it's not following your husband into disobedience. So I, I wish I didn't need to say this, but when Paul says to submit your husband as to the Lord, That phrase, as to the Lord, means as a way to serving God, not in the place of God. This means if your husband tells or leads you to do something that would disobey the Lord, you have every right not to follow him. The key here is disobeying the Lord and his clearly revealed commands in the Bible, not necessarily what you believe the Lord is saying to you. Now, hopefully this should be a very rare occurrence, if ever, but wives must never feel uh, that submission to their husband's leadership should ever cause them to disobey the Lord. Obedience to God trumps obedience to our husbands or any other leader or authority in our life. And so those are the four things that submission is not. So what is godly submission in a wife? And so here's, here's what I say. Godly submission is a calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's initiative in the home and a willingness to yield in love to her husband's loving, sacrificial leadership. And so earlier we had that illustration of a dance and we, the, the different roles that, that dancing partners have. And so in that illustration, we see that, that a man is taking that initiative in the dance. He's directing that dance. He's guiding that dance. And the, and the wife is willing to follow. And when that happens, it's a beautiful picture of, of, of what the marriage relationship is to be. That a wife is submitting to the husband's initiative and leave in, in the dance. And that's what marriage submission is all about. It's a beautiful thing when done right now, with that said, the question I know many wives are probably thinking right now is, is, how am I supposed to submit to my husband when he's not leading like our marriage? 
and loving us, loving me like Christ loved the church? How do I submit to my husband who's not loving me well at all like Christ loved the church? I realize that this is the case for, for many women in our church, is that the husband's there's a lot of stepping up to do and maybe they're not a follower of Christ yet or maybe they're, they're really needing to grow. And so that's the million dollar question, right? Um, and I don't know if I have a million dollar answer but sadly, it's more often than not the husbands are the spouse in the Christian marriages that, that are struggling to live out the biblical vision for marriage in this passage. It's the husband whose love for his wife is greatly lacking in this way that God calls husbands to live. And so how do I know this? Because I know this from experience. For I was a, sp- a spouse in my marriage that wasn't embracing my biblical responsibilities for my wife, and it made my marriage suffer as a result. And so allow me to share the story of my marriage and how God used my wife to encourage me to grow up in my role as the husband. And so for Suzanne and I, the first five years or so in our marriage story didn't resemble a dance at all. It was much closer to the picture of a wrestling match. Um, and seriously, we fought uh, and picked on each other verbally almost daily. And on the surface, things looked okay, but underneath there was a lot of bitterness and resentment. Um, and both of us were unfulfilled in our marriage. And for, most, and for the most part, I was the chief cause of it. Suzanne would somewhat jokingly say to me and other people that I tricked her. Now women, I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about here. During our dating and engagement, I had pursued her and was the very best version of myself to win her over and get her to marry me. But once we got married, I reverted to the real version of Travis at the time, a self-centered person who was ready to love and serve myself and not love and serve my wife sacrificially as Christ loves the church. Now functionally, I was a boy living in a man's body, putting my needs and my desires ahead of loving my wife. So sadly, that's how a lot of marriages are today. So for the first five years, Suzanne obviously was terribly disappointed She had grown up with a godly father and witnessed the way a husband should love and serve his wife and family. But she'd married me, and I had grown up with a completely opposite example of a father, and I was struggling mightily to live and love and serve my wife as I was called to as a husband in the marriage. And so five years or so in, um, God led her to make a decision for how she was to respond to me in our marriage. And I can remember still today her telling me about this decision. But it was a decision that had a seismic impact on our marriage going forward. Before she made this decision, she had become an expert on the ways I was falling short in our marriage and my love for her. Those of us in marriage know know all about this, right? Spouses, we're all intimately aware of our weaknesses and the shortcomings of our other spouse. And during those first five years, she grew more and more disappointed in my failure to love her like God wanted me to as I grew more and more frustrated with her telling me how I didn't measure up and meet her needs like she wanted. So God led her to a point that she realized she couldn't change me and that her effort would be better spent praying for me and affirming me in the areas, however small that I was doing well. And so I totally remember her saying this to me. But it was really, it wasn't that moment that she said it to me, but it was the weeks and the months that followed that really stood out to me and really caused a seismic shift in our marriage. In the weeks and months that followed after she said that she, she wasn't going to look at those things and, and call me out for what I was failing in, she decided um, instead to point out and encourage me in the things I was doing right. She began to give me grace and love and respect and respected the ways that I didn't completely deserve. But in doing so, God began to soften my heart. And rather than feeling torn down or 
or feeling like I was falling short in our marriage, I began to love her back because I felt loved and respected by her. It was an incredible transformation. And it was all the result of my wife giving me what I needed most, respect. See, the last verse in our passage, which Paul gives as a summary of husband's role and a wife's role in the marriage, says this in verse 33. And it speaks to both wives and husbands. Look at me, verse 33. It says this, However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I think this verse points to the way husbands need to be loved by their wives, and that is to be respected. I think in general, God wired men to crave respect and women to crave love. I don't have the time to flesh that idea out completely, but what my wife gave me that totally changed me and helped me engage more fully in our marriage was respect. When she made the decision to encourage me in her words and affirm me in the small things I was doing right, it stirred in me as a husband to do the same for her and to love her like she needed. So ladies, here's my encouragement for you. The mouth of a woman is unbelievably powerful in the heart of a man. If you can encourage your man and encourage your husband, um, that can go a long way to help building him up and being the man he needs to be. It's not going to happen overnight, but if you begin to put your energy away from pointing out to where your husband is falling short and begin to put, where the, put your energy into looking at the things he's doing right and encouraging him in those ways, God can use that to encourage him, to grow him, and to help him begin to love you and serve you as he should. Now, it's going to take time, but my answer of what a wife can do with a husband who's not living up to God's call on his life is to love him, to pray for him, to encourage him in the things he is doing well and allow God to work in his spirit to change him. So in closing, I want to encourage husbands and wives um, to embrace the biblical vision for marriage in Ephesians 5. Now, I completely believe that a husband and wife both to choose to conduct their marriage relationship in the manner that this passage teaches that you're going to find deeper joy in marriage, that you're, a joy that you're searching for, that all of us are searching for. The teaching about marriage in Ephesians 5 is what happy marriages are made of because happy marriages are not, made, are not about perfect romance. Happy marriages are about fellowship with Jesus. And at its core, marriage, first and foremost, is designed to be a gospel reenactment. It's a laboratory where you learn to be like Jesus and learn to walk with Jesus. In fact, when marriages fall apart, it's not because couples fall out of love. It's because couples fall out of fellowship with Jesus. So if we strive to keep Jesus at the center of our marriages and seek fellowship together with him, our marriages will grow stronger and God will be glorified. Marriage is hard work. We all know that. A good marriage is not something that's stumbled into but fought for and invested in. There's going to be hard times when you need to fight for joy and to fight to love your spouse when they're doing things that make it hard for you to love them. In the hard times, you will need to take your eyes off your spouse and everything wrong in them and instead put your eyes on Jesus and seek his grace and strength for your marriage. So in the hard times, you need to also pray hard. Pray for your spouse. Pray for them. Pray that God would soften their hearts and your hearts that you'd be willing to forgive them and whatever they've done. And so all marriages struggle. All marriages at some point will struggle. So don't be surprised by that. Because God can use that to deepen our reliance on him and deepen our marriage relationship. So don't be afraid if your marriage is struggling to seek godly help from people in the church. That's what the church is for. That's what the people of God are called to. And above all, hold firm to the covenant that you made before God. To love your spouse till death do you part. Marriage is the hardest relationship you will ever have, but it's also the most fulfilling and rewarding relationship God has created us to live. Let's love our wives. 
Let's respect our husbands and let's just honor God in, in, in growing in our marriage. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you um, for your word. And I just pray, God, that you would use the things here in your word, the, the calling you've given us as, as husbands and wives to um, walk in. That you would give us the strength and the grace to even take one thing and take one truth today that we've heard and be able to apply it in our marriages as we go forward here today and the weeks to come. Lord, help husbands embrace this, this high calling on their, on their life to love their wives as Christ loved the church and help wives to submit to their husband's leadership in this, to encourage him, to affirm him, to build him up and respect him. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the marriages of our church. And Lord, will the marriages need to be encouraged. Would you um, point that out and help us to encourage and come alongside marriages that need your help. Thank you for your truth, Lord God. Thank you for your word. It's in Christ's name we pray.